Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Everybody, uh, uh, welcome to episode two hundred and seventy-two of the Bitcoin podcast. I'm the host that talks first. D. I'm the host that talks best. Corey. Uh, we have a, we have a bunch of people it. on the roundtable today. You always break the rhythm. Yeah, I know. There's no rhythm. You combo break. You throw the combo breaker out before I even get to going. Got to keep people on their toes. It's not. If you're, not, if you're not keeping it's people true. on your toes, then they're just getting complacent. That's true. You got to teach people how to adapt audibly. Yeah. Um, we got a bunch so of people on the show we today. Have guests. Yeah, we got a lot of guests. So we're lazy. You guys go ahead and introduce yourselves. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we have, we let's, have, go, uh, let's go. Ray, you want to go first? Sure. Reverse alphabetic. This is uh, Ray Redacted back on the uh, podcast to talk about security and SS7. And let's go with the security awesome. theme here. We also have Harry from MyCrypto. Say what's up, Harry. Hey, everyone. Nice. Jesse? <laughs> Jesse's also what's with up, us. everybody? From Just the Headers slash the yeah. Bitcoin Podcast Network. Jesse from Just the Headers. Yep, yep. Jesse the man broke, said he wanted to grace us with his presence. So he And we said, yes, absolutely. And so now here we are. So we got, we got, a, we got a packed show today. We got a lot to talk through. So, should we just jump right in, or Let's should we right talk in. about my week? No. Okay. Let's just jump right in. Ray, Ray brought Ray brought things to talk about, and we're going to talk about them. <clears throat> Ray has a posse. <clears throat> yeah, so Friday night, uh, right around the time that Burning Man started, uh, the CEO of Twitter, Jack Dorsey, uh, we're not sure if he was at Burning Man or not, but uh, his SIM was hijacked. He was SIM-swapped. And the people that took it over, who have been taking over some YouTube accounts as well, um, rather than posting some kind of a shitcoin Twitter scam, asking people to send them Ethereum, uh, they just decided to spout off a bunch of bomb threats and racist tweets. And it's a little bit embarrassing for both Twitter as well as for SMS as a second factor authentication. And it also very much draws attention to the fact that apparently no one is immune from uh, sim swapping so is our level of adoption meter at uh the rate at which we're surprised when people who get their shit hijacked don't spout off to it like crypto scams <laughs> yes correct that's the, I mean, that's the, <laughs> the the pranksters could have probably made about 100 grand it would have been a different issue of how they exfiltrated or how they get it out but i mean certainly you would have thought if they if he had posted a bunch of things because you know he also owns a payment processor as well yeah, if he, cash they, they could have used that for fraudulent purposes, much bigger than just you know uh, pulling some pranks and and saying some inflammatory things on Twitter. Mm. You know, what I just realized is that the heist movies are over. 
Are they? Like, as we go into the future. Yeah, I mean, they're they're stupid now because everything is so digitized. So, like, I mean, every scene would just be them waiting for something to load. Sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, the heist movies are over. There's no more. Know, Harry, cool, what do you think? Like, can you can you can you sensationalize the stuff that you do? And you kind of. I think we're living stuff? in we're living in a heist movie. <laughs> How's that? Is somebody ha- hacking us like as we speak, just sitting waiting for something to load? Say I don't again? Hear. Is somebody just sitting waiting for something to load and hacking us as we speak? Yeah. Well, most most hacking movies would probably be social engineering a telco company. Mm. Which is a natural segue into the fact <laughs> that that's exactly what sim swapping typically is. And, and by the way, Harry is on here because uh, the folks at my crypto and cypher blade have this really, really good guide about uh, sim hijacking as well. But um, for those of you that aren't familiar with this at all, okay, uh, in North America, and it is a uniquely North American problem that we'll talk about why in just a minute, uh, there's a social engineering type of an attack where somebody basically steals your phone number, right? They pretend to be you and they get the carrier to issue you a new SIM or to change your number to their SIM. And because we still have a lot of systems that rely on SMS for that second factor for password resets and things like that, uh, this it really kind of shows a lot of vulnerabilities that are out there. And it actually has a great um, analogy for cryptocurrency too, because the reason that we have a lot of these problems, the reason that you get so many fake robo calls with spoofed caller ID and the reason that SMS is so insecure has to do with the fact that when a lot of these standards were written, okay, and I'm talking about in the 60s and 70s, they originally allowed for telco connectivity to happen uh, in band, right? So you could signal and make changes inside the band. And then the very, very first hackers and freakers kind of realized that they could make they could make free telephone calls and do all kinds of, of naughtiness by, by generating these tones. Back to plan. And so this... So the second system that came about without a band signaling is a system called Signaling System 7, which is what we use today, but predominantly across the entire world. But it was designed so that you assumed that only carriers, trusted carriers, right, would have access to the underlying architecture. So, for example, SMS uh, is designed as a protocol so that you can spoof somebody else's number. Like you, you could, for a business reason, you know, say I'm going to send out a blast and I'm going to make it look like it came from Dr. Corey Petty, et cetera. Uh, but the other half of that is they certainly never anticipated two billion cell phone numbers being issued that would need to be ported from carrier to carrier. And that's the inherent weakness that we have that causes the SIM hijacking is that when somebody loses their cell phone, they're in such a huge panic that they can walk into a, a, a carrier's office and be freaked out. They may have lost their wallet too, right? If you think about the scenarios that you've lost your cell phone D, you might have mm-hmm. also lost your wallet at the same time. Straight to D, huh? Straight to D. <laughs> I never um, lost my cell phone, but I appreciate <laughs> the characterization there. Right? Okay, well, I'll just tell you, I have lost my cell phone. And in many cases, it, in some cases, actually, back then, I used to actually keep my wallet in my cell phone. It was the same device, but... Uh, but so people are usually very much freaked out. So they called into the call center and say, oh, I lost my phone. I need this immediately, you know, et cetera. And the call center people who there are, you know, 100,000 of them have the ability to basically reprovision you on a new SIM, right? And so these social engineering attacks, whether they're on the phone or in person, are relatively easy to do. And almost everyone knows that, right? So what happened with Jack, more than likely, 
is that he was his sim was social engineered away from him. And then because Twitter has this service that allows you to tweet by sending a text message to 40404 directly, no password, no login, nothing. Um, it's trusting that that SMS is not spoofed and it tweets directly from the SMS line. Yeah, I used to do that. It was really fun. You could tweet. Uh, which tweet, part? You could text your tweets, texting your tweets. It's that similar type of thing that companies do, which is terrible, I think. And it's based on the infrastructure we have. Like all of what Ray just said is that we have, we've, the way our infrastructure is built is constantly offloading security for convenience. And it, it's just, it's a, it's a terrible way to do things. And like, this is something that Taylor at my crypto said, I think it was last night or yesterday. Like it's so rare for companies to actually optimize or build around a base of security instead of convenience. Hmm. Well, and certainly in Jack's case, you would think he being the CEO of a, of a fortune company and a payment processor, you would have thought that he at least would have some defensive measures to prevent someone from being able to tweet just directly. I mean, if you think about this, guys, for yeah, a second. You would think at that, that level of, of I guess, uh, popularity or notoriety. Well, but think about this for a second. If it can happen to the CEO of Twitter, it could happen to President Trump as well. I mean, well, it's not that far-fetched. Okay. I, hmm, that's a rough one. Now, <laughs> I want to say that... Well, he has like 20 people running his Twitter, so... Which is There's just no a larger way. attack service. There's also seven no. clients that are authenticated to that account right now. Seven. It's probably seven like 20 people clients. running Trump's Twitter too. So that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about Trump's Twitter has seven different clients logged in right now as of today, because you can see it in the metadata. So wow. and the other the joke about President Trump is if someone hacked his Twitter account, how would we ever know? Yeah, you oh, yeah. So ridiculous. You <laughs> might saying some yeah. rational shit. Yeah. Like, wait, wait, wait. That actually made sense. Okay, somebody's hacked Trump. <laughs> Um, well, like, are well, we ever going to get away from this? Like, are, are SMS is going to yeah, change. That's, that's going to be my question. Like, how do we get away from this? How do we prevent? How do we prevent? Do I need to go to ATT and say, "Hey, if someone can't, if someone you've got, they got to send you a dick pic, and it's got to look like this." <laughs> no, no. Okay, now, you can't. You can go to AT and T and ask for additional protections on your account, but they're also very easy to override. In my experience, if you add that additional <laughs> pen, even if you put only show my passport, I'm still able to port my number away with just a yearbook photo, or even one case. One case, one year, I actually did it by showing them a Facebook page, which was a hundred percent fake. So you just hack yourself all the time, every year, all four carriers. Wow. So in, in, in the research world, that's something that you're, you're advised to do. Is do you to, have, do you have any hobbies? System? I'm sorry? Do you have any hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sim hijacking apparently is one of them. <laughs> are, you success, are you successful every year with all four carriers? Yeah, so that's a great question, Harry. I have been successful with one carrier each of the years, but it's been, been different every year. So T-Mobile used to be the worst. Oh, my God. I'm, I hope I'm not opening you guys up for litigation or something. But they've actually gotten a little bit better, right? They're, they're actually a little bit better. Um, but in general, yes, there's generally a way that you can do it on the phone. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the other one is, is one of the major carriers, if you spoof your caller ID to another number on your account, okay, they s assume that that must be your account because they still route you to the call center where they think that it's actually you and it's way easier to get a port done then. What's your uh, methodology on doing it? Do you call multiple times to get like a willing CSA? 
Sure. Oh, so, so that's a hang up call again. That's a, that's that's a, a very very common tactic, which is if you find somebody smart or savvy, you just disconnect. You don't say goodbye or anything. You just pretend like the phone disconnected. Uh, but yes, generally, you want somebody that is um, influenceable or takes great sympathy. You could play babies in the background if you want to uh, mm. to make them feel like you're a harried parent or. Um, if you want to sound like you're uh, waiting for a taxi cab and you can't do it because you don't have your phone and you're on a payphone, you can play a bunch of traffic noises. Anything to add that kind of background realism will help with social engineering. So, so you call or do you find a Becky? I think we're right. find a Becky. Just it's <laughs> okay. It's come down to this: stop fucking using SMS for any type of authentication scheme. Period. But that's very difficult to do. So you can do that. You can do it. You can do it. But here's one of the things that came up in the last 24 hours. If you go into your Twitter right now and you completely remove your cell phone number from your Twitter profile, it will turn off other multi-factor authentication methods. So it'll disable Authy or Authenticator or whatever else on your account. Looking at you, Twitter. There are people out there that will say, but Ray, Twitter is not a secure messaging platform. Why do we give a shit, right? Well, the reason we give a shit is because it, it, it can be, if somebody can impersonate you on Twitter, they can impersonate you on DMs, and they can impersonate you to go do lateral movement into Gmail or to cryptocurrency or to call, you know, DM your grandmother or whatever else. So we have to treat the applications that we use daily uh, the same. That's why you really do want multi-factor, and I mean true multi-factor, on everything, every site, every single one that supports it. If the site doesn't support it and it involves money, you need to delete them and get a different bank. Money or notoriety in terms of like people people thinking they're talking to you and rely on like the application to like authenticate you. If you're if you're being yourself with a audience with some with some relatively large audience or important audience, you need multi-factor authentication. Because that value is also there. Like even if it's not monetary, there's value, like social value in those things. And if you have social value somewhere, you should protect it. So Harry, tell us a little bit about what you guys have said about some of the things that you could do to prevent getting your uh, SIM hijacked. Uh, So a lot of it is, like you said, is remove the SMS authentication and use something like Google Authenticator or a YubiKey or something like that, something else that you have. Um, with Twitter, there, 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 there isn't anything really. I've actually um, removed my mobile number from my Twitter account. So uh, my only account recovery mechanism is my email, which has more options for um, account recovery with something that I have, except from an SMS number. So to get into my email, you'd need like a YubiKey or Google Authenticator. And what is the password to that email? <laughs> I don't know because I use a password manager. <laughs> Standard follow-up from your age. What's the password? Uh, sure. So, so again, for the people that don't aren't familiar with the term that Harry's talking about, he's talking about a YubiKey, which is a hardware uh, multi-factor device. It's like a, it's, a, it's typically a USB key. It could be a near-field communications, and now they have one that's Lightning that participates as your second or tertiary, secondary or tertiary token, or in some cases even your fourth token. Uh, for some of those scenarios. And you can set them up so that uh, the absolute gold standard in my mind is you have a password manager that is only unlockable with a hardware token because that is so many steps for someone to to get to your information. And basically, if you didn't have your own YubiKey and even if somebody took a wrench to your head, you would you would probably not be able to get into your password manager either. 
Here's a question for yeah. you. Here's here's an interesting one from you. Um, so I use a password manager um, for everything. Like I don't I don't know any of my passwords. Let's put it that way. You Other mean your last password, right? I, I just the one that unlocks my yeah. my password manager and the one that uh, basically logs me into my computer. Those are the those are basically the two or multi passwords that I have depending on how many devices I have. All right, cool. Uh. How do you feel about every time you use one of these hardware tokens and you log into a service, whether it be from a given piece of software or uh, a given computer or a different browser, it asks you, do you trust this device? Which basically <laughs> <Sure>. means don't ask me to use my hardware. Uh, like, don't, don't ask me to do any multi-factor authentication again on this specific device, whether that be like the pairing of my computer and the browser and an app or something like that. Uh, should you ever use that option? Is it good enough? I never use it. Yeah, so it's an interesting uh, debate here because there's two different main security concepts at play here. Uh, the first one is a zero trust model, right? The zero trust model means you never trust anything. It doesn't matter if it's a kiosk, if it's your grandma's computer, if it's your own personal computer, right? Mm -hmm. You don't apply trust to things because you build systems around zero trust and then you don't you won't get violated you know, on that trust. It's sort of like the old maxim, you know, don't lend friends money and definitely don't lend relatives money, right? Because if you have a different standard for that, you know, there's different pieces to that. But the other side of that is a different model and it specifically applies to multi-factor authentication called inherited trust, okay? And so for example, uh, on Google, uh, Gmail, for example, it knows your MAC address and it knows your originating IP address. And if it suddenly sees your MAC address or your IP address is completely unknown, like it's a Chinese IP or it's a proxy for Tor, then it will force you to use another authentication mechanism. That's risk-based multi-factor authentication, right? And that actually does bring a lot of convenience to it. Um, Harry mentioned Google Authenticator. I'm actually a really, really big fan of Authy because Authy has the concept of inherited trust. So once you actually authenticate with one device, you can then use that device to authorize another device so that they can be in sync, like your Apple Watch or your other computer or, or a backup air gaps device or whatever else. Uh, and then you can turn off that inherited trust model. So you could have an air gap device that you do nothing but keep in your safe in order to authorize another device if you lose your phone, right? For example, that's one of the, 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 the use cases that's there. But those two models are incompatible because zero trust by definition means that you couldn't have inherited trust because there is no trust. Mm -hmm. Jesse, you were gonna say something like five minutes ago. I think I think somebody hopped in in front of you. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't remember okay. what I was gonna say. <laughs> so much, right. so much information has been given. Yeah, that's um, the thing. It's like there's this. I have I have this somewhat of like a. I don't want to call it a maxim, but like a personal philosophy that the more difficult you make security practices, the less someone is actually going to use them, and so like. What will happen is that if you introduce a level of convenience that offloads security, people will oftentimes do it. Yeah, they'll go the path of least resistance, just like, like water. And, and as much as like I care about these things, I don't do I, – I basically am using multi-factor authentication to do everything. So it's, it's, it's a bit cumbersome when I want to log into services and so on and so forth. There's not a lot of things that automatically log in in my life. And if Wait, they do automatically Bitcoin log in – What? Doesn't Bitcoin fix this? <laughs> No, well, Damn. blockchain, blockchain. These could be could be a solution. Well, well I actually think well, that a good portion. I said this on Twitter. Like, let me finish what I was going to say. Um, 
most people will not act like I do. And so if you give them the option to offload security for convenience, they will take that option. Now, I think, I mean, I, I, I said it on Twitter. I'd go as far as to say the majority or the, the best part about us pushing to adopt cryptocurrency and blockchain and so on and so forth is basically just funding um, useful asymmetric cryptography. It's getting people to come up with solutions that make asymmetric cryptography, public and private key cryptography, useful for regular people. That's the main main benefit of all of this stuff. Sound money, sure. Digital scarcity, sure. So on and so forth. Useful cryptography that's actually that doesn't offload security for convenience is way more important, or at least um, the, like the base layer of importance to everything else. Yeah, so Corey, I'll tell you, if it, you said most people won't use secure methods if they have the convenience choice in front of them. Yeah. It's about 70% of people surveyed uh, admit that they reuse their passwords across all sites, right? The same password across all sites. And if you go to haveibeenpwned.com, you could actually put in your email address and it will tell you whether or not your data has ever been leaked. And most people are shocked to see that they've been involved in five or six data breaches. So certainly you're 100% right that you 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 enforcing people uh, to follow rules and then they just get around those rules. So for example, if I make you change your password every month, most people will say, okay, my, my password in January is password one. Okay. And then yeah. the next month they just say it's one, two or one, three or one, four, yeah. you know, mm. it's very, very easy to guess. Like, because... He made that noise because that's what he does. No, <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs> <"Shut> <laughs> I made that noise because it's genius. And why haven't I done it yet? So, so <laughs> NIST, NIST, you know, NIST actually no longer recommends corporations force people to change passwords, right? As of this year. They've gone to a kind of a new model across the board uh, that's there. But, you know, this goes back to the adoption debate and it goes back to the Ethereum debate as well. If you make this too much of a hassle for people, they just won't do it at all, right? Um, for Here's another example. Uh, on PayPal, if you turn on multi-factor authentication and then you log in and you say, well, I don't remember how to do that, then they just let you just bypass the whole thing if they, you can tell them what street you grew up on and what your mom's maiden name was, right? How so, is anyone going to know that information? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, so I mean, that's another example of that, right? Because the convenience versus security usually in, is in conflict. Now, there are, some, there are two stunning examples of when this isn't the case, okay? The first one is when Apple came out with Touch ID, when they came out with really good biometric, it turned out that people were putting in their PIN, which was a shitty PIN, it was usually four digits, and like 69% of them were one of eight possible choices, right? Uh, but people did actually start using the fingerprint reader in addition to the PIN, and it actually did become better and it was more convenient. But that's such an anomaly. Generally, you have to trade one you know, for the other. In the multi-factor world, the other example is something called FIDO2, which ultimately is a multi-factor a method, but it's passwordless. So you no longer actually have to do a username, a password, uh, and then authenticate a device and then give a token. It basically kind of makes that seamless. And so if you've ever used a, a, an app where they asked you to authenticate that you were logging in on the computer on your phone by just saying yes or no, you know, that's an example of, of, of where the technology is actually being used for good on itself. Hmm. Well, I know for adoption's sake, it doesn't help people like we're so far ahead of the curve that like it would suck for somebody that's listening that just got into crypto and then they get sim swapped and they lose their crypto 
And it's like, well, damn, I didn't know I was fucking in the wild, wild west. And it's like, yeah, we're sharks out here, player. Well, that's the thing. Like, is this that, is how like, crypto works. Introduce digital money into the bag, then protecting your digital identity on authentication systems becomes that much more important. Like, yeah. it, they, this wasn't a big deal in the past because the individual didn't have a lot of valuable things to steal. Or you weren't liable, right? So yeah. if somebody takes your credit card numbers, you don't, you don't actually, at least in North America, you don't actually have to pay for it, right? You're, you're only liable for up to 50 bucks. And even then you don't usually even have to pay the 50 bucks, right? Because your credit card company just eats it. And it's kind of a shock when people find out that if they get a Bitcoin stolen, there really isn't any recovery process. There's no Bitcoin corporation that's insured against your loss, right? And the FBI is not going to really open a full-scale investigation over a single Bitcoin theft that happened because you were fished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It feels like it's going to be tough road for adoption if some of these things can't be easily assessed um, just because it's like money with more steps for most people. Like, Do you think the road to adoption is tough because people aren't educated or they just don't care or both or neither? <laughs> both um so many options i would say <laughs> it's both I, I definitely would say it's both enough people know about bitcoin and crypto now to where it's like on the cusp of becoming something but the thing is, is there's still so many tiny tiny roadblocks to for for crypto in general and now it's begin it's coming even worse because middlemen are swooping in because they're like oh this is great coinbase is like oh great we just became the greatest middleman of the 21st century. We just got to keep it up, you know? And so it's, it's becoming, I don't know, that could be an easy thing, but or easier for people because people do love Coinbase. Everyone I've introduced to Coinbase, Coinbase. like, Oh, it's so easy. It's so easy. And then I introduced people to Gemini and they're like, why would you, why didn't you introduce me to Coinbase? And I'm like, Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Winkle bye. I guess here is not that easy to use, but I don't know. It's it's scary to some people, and some people don't have the time. Like like remember, I I have relatives whose banking password is recover my password. Oh God, don't say that on air. <laughs> I mean, it is. They just they never remember, it and they're like, oh, I guess I'll go ahead and every time they log in, they're like, I'll go ahead and recover my password. So oh, they're saying password. that their parent password was literally the no. phrase recover my password. No, no, no. Hey, it's a passphrase. No, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like they they never remember their password. They always recover their password. Like every time they log in, they they care that little about security. <laughs> well, actually, just... that's kludgy multi-factor because it sends them an email reset, and then they have a token. I mean, it is it is kludgy, but it is a way to 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 uh, yeah. kind of sneak in multi-factor. I don't think yeah, I've heard right. that word before. Kludgy. <laughs> I'm not sure that it is a word. So I like it. Well, but so I, I have a question I... for you, Ray. I got a question for actually everybody. Um, does anybody know if you can freeze um, a phone number to just yourself, just own it forever? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we 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 definitely can talk about that, and I know Harry knows a lot about this as well. Uh, in it, first of all, it's different in every country. Okay, so one of the reasons that this isn't a rampant problem in Europe is because when you go to port your number from one carrier to another in Europe, it takes days, and while it's taking days you're getting text messages and all this other kind of stuff. So you have time to catch it. Whereas in North America, if they went to port Jack Dorsey's number at 5.01 PM, it was probably ported by six, right? Within an hour, you know, it actually happened. But your question is, is can I freeze 
so that they won't port out. Well, the the rule, the law requires uh, carriers to basically port to each other unless there's a, a contractual con a commitment around it or something like that. And it's very strict around that. Now, what you can do is you can make it more cumbersome for them to do it, right? So you could put a pin on your actual porting, okay? So that could be depending on who the carrier is that you have to have an extra code. The problem with that is, is that most carriers, even when you put protection on the porting, they're used to dealing with people that don't remember what their protection was, right? So anyone with a manager above title can, can basically override that as well, especially in person, right? But in theory, and I'm, again, I'm gonna let Harry kind of add some color to this, you should put those restrictions on your porting and, and you should put the notes in your account and you should say things like, you know, only port if I show a passport, right? Or if I show a, a, a state driver's license, right? Because their ID requirements are very different. And I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm interested in Harry's take on that as well. Yeah, I like these points. They, you still have the weakest link of a support agent or an authorized person that can perform such an action to be compromised either through bribery or threats or something else. So I think a good assumption to make is never rely on your phone number, which has the weakest link of a human as authentication. Mm. Why can't we um, have providers like AT&T infrastructure, infrastructure providers decentralize that whole process of assigning phone numbers so that you get like, I don't know, you, you, you're assigned some sort of um, private key that converts based on whichever provider you choose to a number, but yes, so, you so, ultimately own that private key. So psychologists figured out in the, in the forties and fifties that most human beings can remember seven numbers, right? Seven numbers is kind of the sweet spot for memorizing something. And that's where we ultimately ended up, at least in North America, with the NPA and XX scenario that we have today, where you have a, an NPA, which is the area code, and then a somewhat memorable seven-digit phone number, right? So you, you typically can remember 4774252 or 8675309, and then you just have to remember the city. If we wanted a private key. Sorry, you did there, Ray. You're not if we, uh, if, if, we, uh, if we went to a private key type scenario, uh, that phone number that's mm -hmm. today 10 digits would probably be, if we just use numbers, right, it would probably have to be 64 digits, right? And so you're trying to talk to people about remembering 64 digits. Even if you were alphanumeric, it would still be another eight characters using the full alphabet, right? So we haven't quite figured that. We don't really have an easy solution to that, right? Plus, mm. your phone number is itself a public key. If you think about it, it's not something that you try to hide, right? Uh, using OSINT, I can find anybody's cell phone number within an hour. I, pretty much anybody. I won't be able to find Trump's, but uh, pretty much anybody. So it's not really a secret. I mean, I love that Harry is saying we shouldn't use that phone as any kind of authentication device at all. And there's certainly mechanisms for doing that. But if you go around assuming that people can't find your cell phone number, then you've never been around a Stingray or an IMEI catcher or even some of the robocaller techniques where they just sweep every single phone number and listen for which ones have voicemail outbound, right? Uh, you, it's very difficult to protect your phone number itself. Mm. Hmm. So one what thing if, that I do is I keep uh, I keep my number rotating through um, Google Voice. So I don't actually use my like my phone's phone number. Um, I have protections on the number, but then I try to use for um, for multi uh, multi factor authentication. I try to use Google Voice numbers in conjunction with the actual phone number. Um, so like I have my own like methodology in addition well, to great. using UV keys to lock. Yeah, you call me from a different number different every accounts. time. Now that's actually great. Using Google Voice and not using your primary 
portable cell phone number is absolutely a fantastic best practice. And if you're not comfortable with Google, there are services like TextNow where you can pay them $9 a year and you can pay them with Monero and you can give them a funny name and you can be a total burner type of a de-anonymized type of an SMS side, right? And some of those services will even even forward SMS messages to your other numbers. Although from an OPSEC standpoint, that may or may not be a good idea. But using Google Voice or a IP-based SMS gateway, it's absolutely you know one of the greatest things that you can do to kind of mitigate some of this. That's this, cool this and all, issues. but I don't I don't want to do all that. <laughs> no one's going to do all that. Like, yeah, I think that's the argument. I think that's the argument. It's like ease of use and get wide adoption or stop using you know, your fucking cell phone. Just stop using your cell phone. Yeah, man, why can't we be futuristic with this shit already? Like, I feel like blockchain <laughs> actually can solve this. Like, couldn't you have like a little device? that housed all your sensitive information and that's your little decentralized that's your little token that these apps use to verify it is i mean that's what your cell phone is unfortunately (laughs) unfortunately it has it has this massive security flaw where it has a phone number attached to it yeah but that's your i mean it's got your whole life in the phone like what i mean i'm talking about just like a little box that's just and then if you need you know it's just a box that houses your sensitive info that's what your cell phone we're gonna call it a lockbox are we gonna call that a lockbox day we're gonna put it all in a lockbox yes man a safe we'll call it a safe (laughs) we'll call it a digit safe we'll call it's we need a new company a bit bit safe bit safe it's gotta have bit in it a bit safe and then it just houses that and yeah i know it's called your cell phone but like relieve that from your cell phone oh hey so that what's going on Okay. I think someone's taking your cell phone behind you right there. Yeah. Someone just walked that. into D's room and took his cell phone and walked out. Yeah. Uh, that was my, my younger sister. Every day weekend, got to visit the fam for the barbecue. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I just feel like crypto isn't trying hard enough to solve this stuff and make it sexy at the same time. Like I feel like that's an easy one that they could help out with. So maybe I'll, maybe just because it's on your cell phone, it seems stupid. But I don't know. I was I was talking with. Did um, you use like a Trezor to like make calls? Like <laughs> you like say AT and T. I want to use my Trezor to sign up for a virtual number, and like somehow like your private key gets associated with like a phone number through AT and T, and you can call using any you know online device. I mean, it sounds possible to me. I mean, we. We made the movie Avatar. That sounds like we could do something like that too. What I mean, Avatar was a leap and bound in in all kinds of technology. If we can do, if we can make Avatar, damn it, we can hook up a treasure to our AT and T phone number. I was talking with uh, okay, I'm building out, I'm building out an idea for a, for a business, and I was talking to the guy that wants to build the front end and everything, then do the branding. And they came up with this with this acronym of keep it cis, which is like sexy, intuitive, and secure. And I think that's it, it, it. You you have to have those things in order for anyone to actually use something. All these all these solutions we've come up with technically work. I do a bunch of stuff to secure my identity and my valuables, and it's not sexy, and it certainly isn't intuitive. I need to know a bunch of stuff and how stuff works in order for to to keep this stuff happening. And it's just. It's 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 cumbersome, and until we come up with something that's cis, like you're not going to have adoption, in my opinion. 
I think or they just move be, on. Yeah. Or they move on. Like, like for example, most email spam for all practical purposes has kind of been solved, right? We don't we're not dealing with the hundreds of, of email spams a day in our inboxes, most of us anyway. So they've moved on to other things. Now they're SMS spamming, now they're robocalling, you know, other the, the criminals will always find a different way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 whatever the easiest path of resistance is. I'm sorry here, I didn't mean to Yeah, but you. like the easiest path of resistance can be raised. I mean, we we like the, the, just the idea of asymmetric cryptography and some of the cryptographic schemes of authentication that are coming out, like the lowest barrier of entry can be raised such that it's really difficult for people to get things done in an efficient manner. So there, so there isn't like this, like, you know, basically casting a wide net and just and not, and not caring. That can, be a, that can be an expensive procedure. And so people won't do it. And that's the whole idea of, in terms of like being a security professional, in my opinion, or like raising the bar, is raising the lowest bar, like the lowest entry. Hmm. I, I'm I'm on the edge of my seat trying to figure out what Harry's going to say about sys. <laughs> I was just going to say I want to make it an industry-wide acronym. CIS? Everyone using it, yeah. I've you never like heard that? it before. Yeah, I like it. You never heard it because I made it up just the other day. <laughs> <laughs> Look good. how happy Corey looks. So happy. I like when people. I said I like something that. people like. I said something people were going to do. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, it actually works. Things have to be sexy. I've been saying this for four and a half years now. And like, I always say things like that. If you say that stuff, stuff like that, and a room full of really smart people, they usually look at you like you're the opposite of smart. They're like, oh, this here's this dumb motherfucker right here. Yeah, but if you I'm say like, an yeah. acronym that includes it, they're like, you're a genius. Oh, that was the missing step? <laughs> yeah. Damn, I should you know, just the, put it in an acronym. It's that commercial. It's like, I just said that. Yeah, but I did it like this. And he puts his thumb up. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's the same thing. You're just going to say it right. Like, crypto's not sexy. The only thing that makes crypto sexy is that every two years, there's a random 14-year-old who got a bunch of crypto playing, playing Counter-Strike, and now he's a millionaire, and he's wearing stupid-ass glasses, and he's talking on CNBC about how he's a genius. Like that's what makes crypto sexy to people. Or um, they're talking to grown ass men living in tree houses, and it's like, damn, can't like. There's nothing else sexy about this. We don't do anything else sexy. <laughs> it's just have some crazy random shit going on. So, D, and if so, you keep your if you keep your crypto assets on a public blockchain, which ultimately all crypto assets are on public blockchains. There's no such thing as dark blockchains or, or dark web blockchains yet. But mm. uh, who's responsible for, for, for protecting those assets? Who ultimately is in charge of making sure those don't get ripped off? Well, in the words of G-Eazy, it'd be me, myself, and I. And so that's friction, right? For most people, right? My choice is, is do I want to invest in and, and adopt something where I'm responsible for losses or should I just keep dicking around with a Visa or a MasterCard and they're responsible for the losses? And actually, ultimately, all cardholders are responsible for your losses because they just spread it out across all cardholders across fees. I've got your answer there. Mm. I've got your answer here. The base layer should have the option for me to take charge over my security because you can always build custodial services on top of that. You cannot do the opposite. You can't have a custodial base layer and then build private secure solutions on top of it. But you told us last week that every time you build anything on top of it, it's going to make it more and more complicated and, and more and more vulnerable. Sure. Like, but it's like if you build a custodial service on top of a private, like I can take like sovereign like um, responsibility, then 
that's that's what you're that's what you're compromising. That's what you're taking away. That's the thing that you take away is this is that I can no longer do it myself. I'm offloading that responsibility to a third party. But I've made that choice. Whereas you can, it's 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 impossible to do the opposite. You've already made that choice if the base layer is custodial. It's hmm. just it's 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 further generalizing what we currently have. And that's what's most that's what's really awesome about the blockchain systems that we're trying to build is that they're more general than the systems we already have, which gives us more options. It fundamentally gives us more options. And then you can rebuild the shit. That's currently what everyone's doing right now. They're just rebuilding all the same financial infrastructure on top of it. Yeah, I've noticed that. It's like we're just like which is fine. reinventing the wheel, no, that's which isn't fine. a bad thing. Because I still have the choice to leave it. That's the main thing that, 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 this, that this, this does is it gives me the option to, to remove myself from it if I want to. Mm-hmm. Most people won't care. But at least the people who yeah. do have an option to do something about it. I hate when people use that euphemism. In my mind, I call them a bitch. Or not, not when they use it, but when they, say it's, when they say it to me. What? When they're like, oh, let's not reinvent the wheel here. And I'm like, you bitch. Because like, because if, <laughs> if we hadn't... If we hadn't reinvented the wheel, we're just gonna be rolling around on fucking rocks. Like, what kind of dumbass thing is that to say? We invent the tire like every few years, we make the tire better. Why would I not reinvent it, you dumb bitch? But I don't say that out loud. I just think it in my head because I'm like, you're just not contributing to this conversation at all, are you? But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to go on that. Well, so one of the reasons that one of the reasons that so many of these projects were uh, gravitating towards money and towards settlement is because the SWIFT system sucks, right? I mean, it's, it's incredibly insecure. It's usually very, very slow. Uh, it was built for you know time when mainframes were, were kind of the de facto standard, et cetera. And so most people, in addition to wanting to become Bitcoin billionaires, are also thinking, surely we can do this faster and, and easier and more, less friction and even less transaction costs, right? That's why they're gravitating towards settlement and towards the, you know, the, that type of the, that aspect of the, we have the, the blockchain technology. Project. We could rebuild it, make them stronger and faster. <laughs> well, we should probably talk about crypto a little bit. It's yeah, been a heavy security. It's been a heavy security episode, but it's low key been a pretty damn good week for Bitcoin. Yeah, um, why? I mean, I feel like the price has well, been been dropping quite a bit. Right, we keep retesting that whole like ten thousand <laughs> stuff, and then it just dropped after that. We lost the, the like the yeah. the, the resistance. Or well, support, there's new Bitcoin the mining's. Bitcoin mines are going up in the states now. Uh, there's one going up in Georgia, and there's an, there's two going up in South Dakota. So you know that's a little bit more of that whole decentralization. Do we know drug that we love, baby? Um, do huh? we know what potential like hash rate is relative to the global hash rate of those facilities? No, I don't think there's any way for us to know. But I just appreciate that it's not in China. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, they're, like, but they're probably getting their ASICs from China. <laughs> probably. <There's> no, <laughs> yes, yes, they are. Way to rain on our parade, Jesse. Well, it's, it's way it's, to it's go, still, man. It's something <laughs> so, you should take into account. Like, yeah, we have them, but where did we get them from? So, so dude, the crazy thing and, about and, the the crazy thing about the mining thing is that we surpassed fourteen billion dollars in mining generated revenue this last week. This last week that just happened, and it happened very quickly compared to when we crossed ten billion. But the market cap of Bitcoin is what, like 180 billion, right? So if you think about that, that's like 8% of the total market cap was generated through the mining process itself, right? And I don't know if that's on purpose or if it's a good or a bad thing. I don't know. What do you guys think? 
Oh wow, I've never thought about it like that before. Same. I need to. I need to put pen to paper on what that actually could, what that implies. So it's only generated fourteen billion, but the market cap is hundred eighty. Interesting. That's very interesting. I don't even know how to digest that can you, right now. Can you explain that? I'm trying to. I'm trying to wrap my head around that. Like the the fourteen billion is the total amount. Correct, and it's growing exponentially too. By the way, so um, when we, the the marks are actually being reached at a faster and faster and faster rate, so we could just cross the fourteen billion rate, but we'd actually cross the ten billion rate just a few months ago, and then we crossed the five billion rate just a few, you know, a, a much longer. So it's getting faster and faster and faster towards that number too, right? And I'm just saying, from a percentage of the grand total market cap, the total value of all assets times the actual that times the actual market price, right? It's around $180 billion right now. And, uh, you know, almost 8% of that was generated in the process of mining it itself. And I don't know if the goal was to make it 50% or if the goal was to make it 5%, but I just still think it's an interesting statistic. I'd actually be really interested to see what Ethereum was compared to that. Like how what much Ethereum What do you mean by generated? There? Like, the, like the, the, the tokens that are minted via mining? Correct. Are sold for that much money? That's their rewards. Yes, their rewards have been in excess of fourteen billion dollars. Okay, and know. that goes all the way back I, I, to the inception, from, right? Okay, so that's back from two thousand nine up until now. Correct. And yeah, that's going to exponentially US, right? grow. Yeah, that's going to no, grow it's gonna fast. It's going to exponentially diminish. Well, like the, the the amount that's actually being produced is going to diminish. So unless yeah, but the, the value right, exactly. Yeah, the value will go up, but that means that all the other things that are happening on the network also has that value capture as well. Because there's less <laughs> less inflation, less Wait. tokens actually entering circulation, regardless of the price. That's that's less well, money like, like, being generated from way. mining. If, We've seen if this chart before. Like two hundred billion. It looks like that. Um, our, I don't think our audience can see that chart. <laughs> yeah, but you guys can. I don't give a shit about you, audience. Get the fuck out of here. No, I'm kidding. Taylor, Taylor from MyCrypto has also joined us. So we have, we have another representative from the MyCrypto space. Say hello, Taylor. Good morning. Yeah, well, I'm traveling right now. So I would normally be up at Odark 30 with my daughter, but uh, I slept in. Good for you. Nice. It's really Catch nice. Those Zs. You missed a... A, a riveting conversation about security. Uh, Corey actually invented another acronym. So first he invented, everyone knows what a GPP is. And I hope that goes viral in the community because it's fucking hilarious. And now it is CIS. And Corey, I don't want to steal your thunder. Why don't you let Taylor know what CIS is? Sexy, intuitive, secure. Just keep it CIS. That's the whole the whole idea. Like, like, there's no such I thing like as it. adoption unless unless it's basically CIS. Like, I do. Yeah. I like it a lot, actually. I, I don't yep. think you can, unless you have all three of those things, then it just basically can't ever reach like yeah. the threshold of adoption that you need. Yeah. 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 Well, it has to be like, like the security part of it almost has to just work just like the UX part of it does. And I think that's one thing that people in this industry don't, Get is that we need to like treat all sort of facets of security, whether that's like OPSEC or smart contract security. You know, we have to sort of 
not be on autopilot, but like everyone does all the things necessary to make sure that all the shit is fucking secure. Mm. Please. <laughs> that one. We're like, it's just someone who gets a lot of the support tickets of uh, when you, like we were saying earlier, like if there is an ability to move around the security of an application, people will do it. Like they're going to take the lowest, the lowest path to get to what they're trying to do, regardless if it's the secure path or not. Yeah, and- that's it. So I gave a talk uh, yesterday. Yesterday, I'm at the blockchain training conference in Denver, and um, yeah, the whole like the whole sort of premise of my talk is talking about sort of usability and security and how do you find the balance. Um, and whenever I do this sort of talk, I end up talking way more about security than usability. Um, but you know those sorts of things, right? Like where the user is going to take the easiest path and that may be brilliant UX, but if that's an insecure path, everything's going to blow up in their face and then they're going to lose their money. And then that's not usable. That's not good UX. And I always, I have this slide. I don't know, maybe I can link it, but uh, (laughs) I have a slide that I include like four times in each presentation that just says the worst user experience is the one where people lose their money because I, mm-hmm. for some reason, you know, people are like, oh, but we reduced the amount of clicks. We reduced the mental <laughs> overhead. Oh, I have the sexiest made... way to lose your money. I promise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true though. And you know, it's like, no, sometimes those five clicks are actually a better user experience if the user successfully backs up their key and, you know, doesn't send their stuff into, you know, the black hole of a dead address and, you know, all these little things. Um, I think we'll get there at some point. All right, Harry, here's your chance. You're on, you're on, uh, you're on equal ground. Tell her, you can tell her she's wrong and she can't fire you. (laughs) I know. I think Taylor's right. She makes some good points. Um, (laughs) Passing the uh, responsibility to the, company or interface or product that you're using to ensure you're secure and not like taking the the least secure route is is good but we'll say you need to assume that the user wants to be secure and that they care yeah so i'm going to take a different point on that one side because if we think about going back to the jack dorsey scenario they have intrusion detection systems intrusion prevention systems they use multi-factor in their corporation they thought they closed every single door, except they forgot about the 40404 and the SIM hijacking issue, right? I mean, that's that's a pretty blatant oversight considering that their CFO was the same type of a victim. But I certainly understand what you guys are saying about that, about don't trust anyone else in any corporation, but it's a little bit dangerous because there is a tendency in many cases to blame the user when they get fished, for example, right? But phishing is getting really, really, really sophisticated. It's no longer just badly spelled emails from Nigeria that, you know, it's really, really obvious. There are some extremely convincing fishes and man in the middle attacks that, you know, even I would fall for because it's so, it looks so sophisticated and the certificates match and everything else. It's very, very difficult out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, those phishing sites was, I mean, obviously like the things like the BGP hijack, you know, were incredibly sophisticated, but the phishing sites Right. And the reality that um, you can't stop the phishing sites. It's just not possible. It's so cheap. It's so easy for, you know, uh, a hacker 
with any technical ability, right? Like the whole range of hackers and script kitties to create a phishing site and capture people anywhere on the sort of like totem pole. Um, that's one of the reasons that we removed private keys from my crypto, right? So you just can't use your private keys on my crypto anymore because there's no way to stop the fishers. There just isn't. And there's no way to train every single user to be um, that, I don't know, to detect every single phishing site, well, that's especially when, yeah, I've gone to phishing sites and it's taken me a second to be like, wait, this is not, this is not my site. <laughs> Your own site. <laughs> that, that, circles, my own site. that circles back really well to kind of like what we said earlier and, that like, I don't, I don't, and, and somewhat of a new point of it's the responsibility of the application to not allow this type of behavior. And that's just like something what, like if you're in G Suite, you can now enforce 2FA except SMS. That's a good move, right? So like it, it, you shouldn't even provide the option for someone to do this type of uh, behavior if it's, if it's known bad. And that's, and that's on the application developer to do that type of thing. It's their responsibility yeah. to provide the correct amount of options and services so that their users can do things that are secure and intuitive. But but dare I say, can't blockchain fix this? Look, I'm not trying to be simple like that guy, Bitstein, which I'm still trying to get on the show. But, okay, let's, <laughs> look, look, all right. Yes. If you've got a brick-and-mortar store, if I go open a store and it's called D's Fucking Tools... And then across the street, oh, I hope that store exists. And then across the street, my somebody goes and they open a store, and it's called Bob's Fucking Tools with the same text and the same writing and everything. I can look at that guy and I can say, "No, I did it first. You stole my idea. This is not these fucking tools. Like he stole the store, so don't go in there. Like there's actual recourse I can take because it's authentic, right?" So, like, why can't we do this with sites? There's just they could be authentic, and we can use blockchain to authenticate that that site is that site. Well, that's what I was saying earlier. Yeah, this isn't blockchain. That's just cryptography. Well, yeah. I wanted to be blockchain. Damn it! We're trying to be sexy, Corey. Stop unsexy <laughs> in this shit. We're trying to sexy up. We got it. We got to sexy it. There's um, I mean, there's so many efforts. Um, like the browsers are doing stuff and the standards people are doing stuff and the internet people are, you know, they're all aware that phishing is a thing. Um, and, you know, like just like the SSL certs and then you had the EV certs and then everyone figured out the EV certs don't actually really do that much. And, you know, on and on. Um, one of the hardest things about it, though, is that sort of. So, like, if you build a wall, it's it's not like you know, this impenetrable wall and it may not run literally forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so the second you build it, all the people are just like, hey, can I climb over it? Can I dig under it? Is there a door in it? Can I go around it? Um, and it's really hard to build things with the foresight to sort of, you know, make an impenetrable wall, right? Because at some point, the purpose of what you're building is lost or destroyed um and it doesn't actually do what you want it to do anyways and this is sort of what we're seeing with all the different mechanisms for like verifying a domain and locking down a domain and you know um the certs and the browsers and how they show the certs and you know there's so many different facets to this stuff and i think that 
you know, yeah, there's there may be some things that like the blockchain or like ENS or um, other protocol level stuff could do to help some of the things, right? Like some of these huge pile of <laughs> the huge pile of shit, um, you know, whether that's uh, making domains harder to transfer or easier to secure, but does it really cut down on, you know, like phishing, right? Where phishing is so simple. It's just like, yeah, grab a domain that sort of maybe looks like the other domain and hope people click it and don't notice yeah. it. Um, you know, and I think that's one of the reasons that phishing is so prevalent is like, it's so, it's so easy. And even if you have a domain, like we saw domains that were just like hijacked WordPress sites, like travel and, and leisure, uh, bed.com. You know what I mean? And it was like, mm -hmm. people would still go there My mom would and click on see, that. Like, see like a, a my crypto and be like, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll just put my private key right in here. You know, so it's, it's not even like um, the super sophisticated phishing where like you can't detect the domain is different visually and all this stuff. Like, yeah, you'll still catch people even if you use a domain that's completely freaking irrelevant. Yeah. So Taylor, you actually bring up a good point and it actually goes back to the, to the, where we started the entire podcast today. And that is, you know, you, you mentioned BGP hijacking, that's border gateway protocol. And, and because we have to support DNS domain name service and border gateway protocol, you can't greenfield build brand new architectures for the internet that don't have to support legacy systems, right? So Twitter could turn off SMS tweeting tomorrow if they wanted to, they could just disable that 40404 number completely for that piece uh, if they want to, but they would probably lose five, 6% of their tweets. And so they've made a business decision that we want to keep that working, right? Uh, and we're also going to use the same one for the multi-factor side. The legacy support is one of the biggest challenges uh, across the board when it comes to writing new security protocols. But I did want, I did have a question for you, Taylor. When you removed the private key functionality, did you get any backlash from the hardcore crypto nerds who wanted you to hold the private keys? Yeah, well, and it was, um, there were a couple people that have been really loyal users and like, you know, that I've personally interacted with at conferences and um, online for like years. And you know, the people sort of yelling and being like, this is terrible. I don't want to download a desktop application. You know, those people, yeah, it stings. But it was the loyal users who understood what was going on and and saw the phishing and saw what we were up against. And it was those people saying that this wasn't a good decision that really stuck with me. Um, and, you know, their points were, their points aren't invalid. But, you know, I just, at the end of the day, the worst user experience is the one where people lose their money. And we were seeing that so frequently. Um, and it just, it was, I mean, it was a hard decision. I'll, I'll say that. Mm. It was not an easy decision, but it's a lot easier when you can point to millions and millions and millions of dollars being stolen and be like, if we don't allow users to do this, less millions of dollars will be stolen, period. Interesting. So yes, there was backlash, but at the same time, it was it was a necessary decision. So I think yeah. that's backlash that's... out of out of um, comfortability. Comfortability. Mm -hmm. People are just like like they're backlashing for insecure solutions because they're lazy. Yeah, or they don't understand the like implications of doing something that way. Like, and that's that, that, yeah. that kind of goes back to what you said earlier, Harry. Like. 
or who was it that asked like, is it, what is it? Are people having an educational problem or like they don't care? It's, it's a, it's a combination of both. Mm-hmm. Corey, with your new acronym, are you worried that the, um, there, there'll be backlash from other communities to try and to take it back? Cause sis means, that means something. I don't care. Sis. I, I have this wonderful part about my personality where I don't typically care about what other people think. <laughs> that could be a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we probably this should wrap great. it. Up. I didn't. What's up, Jess? I didn't know that uh, my crypto had a desktop app. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, we got live. We got a live interaction here. Yeah. So it's actually it's nice. super cool. It's one code base, which is amazing. So we don't maintain two different things. But basically, yeah, we it like it builds like the web version and then it builds the the desktop version, which is just an Electron app. Um, and and the primary difference is on the desktop app, you can use things like your private key, your keystore file, your mnemonic. And on the web, you can't anymore. You can only use like hardware wallets or, or MetaMask. Um, and again, it's yeah, it's security yeah the, the main thing there like the differentiation between like those it. two things is that your local environment is way easier to secure than the hot mess of the internet yeah, yeah exactly uh, so do you consider you guys are you guys a wallet <laughs> still or are you gonna be like a crypto dashboard or a a, li- a crypto lifestyle choice like i don't understand what is the, you know like, <laughs> like the branding there I like the interface. Interface? Yeah, because we don't hold funds. We're just a pretty yes. interface to interact. Facilitator. Is it sys? Is it sys? Yes, is it sys yeah. though? It's got to be sys. It's pretty sissy. Yeah. You should try to go the, the lifestyle pretty choice sissy. route. <laughs> yeah. We need some commercials with violins in them. My crypto. It's a lifestyle. Uh, we'll have to have Jordan on next week and uh, you guys think about <laughs> all your great marketing ideas. Yeah. And then there's like, I don't know if anyone remembers this, but I saw like, a meme. you know, those memes that are going around and they're like, I'm this year's old and it like posts something that's old. And you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that. That makes me old. Remember those like ice cream lasagnas that like, no. Oh my God. No. So I remember <laughs> this commercial very specifically. There was like this. It was like it was like the epitome of luxury, and it was ice cream, but it was like molded into like it looked like lasagna. I can't even explain the way this stuff looked, but it was like right around the same time as Grey Poupon, which is regular ass mustard. But for some reason, when I was a kid, and it's not regular ass mustard. Grey Poupon is regular as hell. I've had lots of mustard. It just tastes like regular mustard. I would call it Dijon. Okay, regular Dijon mustard. Those are two very different. <laughs> Heinz, Heinz yellow ass mustard is very different than Dijon mustard. Oh my bad, I didn't know that. My you gotta have your pinky up when you're using quite, that Dijon. Weren't, weren't quite as. Do you put your pinky out when you spray your Dijon mustard on your hot dog? Who's spraying anyways, mustard? What do you got? Like a squirt bottle? <laughs> stop it! Just, just <laughs> stop it! You know what I'm trying to say. But anyways. Like, Grey Poupon was, like, pitched as the super luxury mustard. And then back in the 90s, there was, like, this ice cream lasagna shit that, like, I guess I was the only person that saw all these commercials yeah, in this call. Yeah, I think call you were. There's... Because, okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll drop it. 
I don't even know where I was going. That was a weird tangent. I was, I was anticipating somebody being like, oh, yeah, I remember ice cream lasagna, too. But You've that been no, not at all. Not so at all. Long. <laughs> Have you found it online, though, or anything? What? Or did you, like, make this up? <laughs> it's a fever dream. <laughs> no, hold up. Let me. You guys talk about crypto. I'm going to find it, and we're going to put a link to it in the show notes I, I, for those who are also curious. I'm looking right now. <laughs> I do want to put, 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 put in a quick plug for compared to D. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely the oldest one here, but I do want to put a quick plug in. If you are listening to this and you are listening to it because you want to learn more about SIM hijacking, Google a SIM swapping Bible, which the folks at MyCrypto and CypherPlay published. Yeah, Sorry. it's a really good. I was putting it in my blog, man. I was putting in the plug for the, uh, the, the, the SIM swapping Bible, which tells you Sorry, what to do if it happens to you as well. Go ahead, lasagna no, man. Keep going. Keep going. No, no, oh. keep going. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm find anyway, the right so, yeah, one. So, so that, that it's a post on Medium, and I, again, you, it should be the first result of your tip and sim swapping Bible, and it will tell you what to do if it happens to you, as well as some things that you could do to mitigate or prevent it. Yeah, tell us about that because y'all put a lot of work into creating that with uh, someone else. Who was it? Cipher. They. Um, Cipherblade. Sorry, Cipherblade. Um, they are amazing. And that article was a lot of work, but it was so worth it. It's been on my list actually for a while. And the fact that we had multiple people that could like dump really deep expert knowledge and then, you know, other people that were willing to sort through this like 50 page document and make it into um, like a really readable thing and bullet points and numbers and stuff. Um, I'm really, really proud of it. And definitely definitely check it out even if you're not scared of being sim swapped which you should be um there's a there's a lot of opsec opsec tips in there um especially around like your google account which has some little peculiar things that you definitely want to do and again the big point about that is is by reading it ahead of time you will actually have know some of these things so that when you're in the panic situation which most people are in when this happens uh, you, you, you've actually been kind of educated about it beforehand. It, it is kind of complicated, especially in the Google ecosystem. There are some catches to watch out for. Too long didn't read. Get Google five. Don't especially if you if, if if you're the type of person that believes in ice cream lasagna, then you are particularly prone to uh, social engineering attacks. I think you're talking to me, Ray, <laughs> and you are right. And I I need to I need to tighten up. I need to tighten up, and so I'm not getting socially hacked. So, by the way, um, uh, side note, if you use Google Fi, um, the service provider, you will not get SIM swapped, but you're offloading your security to your Google account. So make sure that's locked down appropriately uh, because it yeah. may be easier, depending on how your Google account is set up, to just take that and then take your phone. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. so. so be careful out there in those streets. I love how in our chat box, you guys are like talking about like mining and really going at it. And the only thing I contribute is ice cream lasagna pictures. That's what Somebody I love. Play this <laughs> lasagna thing on audio so they can listen to it and then they can go watch it. But the audio really is the best part of this lasagna thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm so disturbed right now. <laughs> I think we yeah. can wrap on that one. Um, so we're going to, Corey, I recently told that we don't pimp ourselves enough. And I said, well, pimping is not a good thing. You usually don't want to pimp things. Uh, it's disrespectful. And the person, yeah, it's disrespectful. It's demeaning. And they said, well, you're misunderstanding what I'm saying. I mean, you need to talk about the things that you do more. I was like, oh, that's what you should have said the first time. 
So we actually have a book that we would like you guys to buy um, called In 10 Words or Less, Can You Describe Bitcoin, Blockchain, or Ethereum? It's on Amazon, um, but that's a lot to type into Amazon. So we'd rather you just go to our website, bitcoinpodcast.com or .network, and you'll click on the book. It's actually a big-ass picture of a book. And if you click that, you're going to be taken straight to where you can buy the book. Um, what else do we do, Corey? So the shows on the network we'd like to plug. Corey has a show called Hashing It Out, um, where he hashes things out. We recently found out there's a YouTube show called Hash It Out. Really? Which came out in July of this year. No. There's a YouTube show called Hash It Out. It came out in July of this year. And I feel like they're trying yeah, to bite on you guys' style. It. Is it any good? We What's found it about? On, uh, on Google. Is it eToro. A- eToro sponsored um, interviews with people about um, Ethereum. Fuck you, yeah. eToro. Ain't that a bitch? Ain't that a bitch? Okay. <laughs> it's a good Anyways. term. Whatever. They can use it. Anyway, mm. I'd say uh, if they're trying to run off my my steam, like that that show has been getting quite a bit of um, good praise in the community. People people listen to it. I'm like I'm capturing the audience I want to capture, yeah. and it's growing nicely. And I'm really enjoying the conversations I'm having on it. Uh, so that's that's good. if you want to learn more technical, detailed stuff about how all of this technology works, that's where you go. And word of disclaimer: we're unapologetically technical, so you're gonna mm-hmm. have to. Google some stuff, uh, but we try and keep it. Uh, we try to come up for air occasionally to try and make sure that the overall topic is understandable and people can catch the types of things we're talking about and its implications. Yep. Uh, we have a store, store.thebitcoinpodcast.com. You'll find all sorts of things on there. We have a throw pillow that says live, laugh, GPP. Um, no, live, laugh, be a GPP. That's one of my favorite items. We also have a bean bag cover. Not, so you can remove the beans from your bean bag and put them into our bean bag cover. <laughs> and then we have a fanny pack. No one's ever um, going to buy that. I'm I, I, I'm making a bet. No one will ever purchase that. Well, somebody uh, many, might. You want to bet in Ethereum? What, what, what's the bet? We want to we get this on the smart contract. <laughs> Somebody's going to bet, all right? Somebody's going to buy that damn beanbag. And if you don't need j- just the cover, you can actually buy a beanbag, a Bitcoin podcast beanbag. There's also shirts uh, and hats. Oh, yeah, we have those shorts. shirts. Uh, and boxers. Uh, what is, they're boxers. What is they're not boxers. I think they're just shorts. Oh, yeah, they're basketball shorts. And they say something about it's very lewd. It's, it's right very, on the genitals. It's very lewd. But, <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty lewd, and it's right on the genitals. I don't even remember what it says now. And I think I'm going to make a shirt that says, don't miss your chance to be cis. And then and then miss will mean make it, make it sexy, stupid. And then cis will be uh, sexy, intuitive, and secure. And then we can have that shirt going. That would be, that'd be good. Uh, what else do we do that we need to pimp out? Just the headers. Oh shit, Jesse, my bad. That's our show. Uh, just the headers be co- coming to you soon. Um, what Locked else do we do? Design. The Slack. You got to argue on the Slack. Come argue on the Slack about yeah. shorts and and we do a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, you can join the Slack if you come to the BitcoinPodcast.com. Push the button that says Slack, and then follow the three simple steps. You will then be entered into the Slack. And you can have arguments about like conspiracy theory. You can. Let's <laughs> it put it this way: wild like, I mean, Slack. 
I'm we're trying to bring the community in much more into the network and uh, engage with them. And for all intents and purposes, I engage our Slack community. That's my community. Um, yeah. And so if we pull from that, if we pull resources from that, and you would like to be part of the show and you're interested in you know joining us and helping and contributing, join the Slack because that's where it's going to happen. Yep, absolutely. We recently had somebody who's been a long-time listener, and they're helping us out with the show now too. So um, it's it's pretty dope. Uh, do all the things. So does anybody have anything else they want? Guys, plug you want to plug anything? Taylor's brushing her teeth. Harry, you want to? Yeah, you want to plug it? If, if anybody happens to be going to uh, to DerbyCon this week, hit me up on rayredacted.com and let me know, and I'll uh, catch you after my class on Thursday or Friday. Taylor, you want to plug? Give a little plug. She's muted. She's walking around. Oh, that's why I was talking <laughs> about ice cream. Um, yeah, I mean, mycrypto.com, uh, at mycrypto on Twitter. Check us out, especially if you're in the Ethereum ecosystem and want funny stuff and security stuff and usability stuff and late night tweets by me. It's a lifestyle. May, may, may or may not have F words included in them. Yeah, yeah. you know. <laughs> Harry, you got anything? Yeah. Uh, check out our Medium publication, medium.com slash mycrypto. We got a whole oh, bunch yeah. of articles, not just mycrypto related, but talking about phishing, uh, pulling apart uh, phishing kits and things like that. If I download the desktop app now, will I get a free box of Vianetta ice cream as well? Yes. Yes. Oh, what did you just say? It's a lifestyle. She said yes. No, I'm talking about so, how'd you call that ice cream? Say Vignette. Vianetta. Vianetta? Yeah. It's, it's, it's ice cream lasagna. Oh, we're putting a picture of it in the show notes because people are going to know what the hell are you talking about. The link's there. We can do it now. Uh, all right. Well, Jesse, you got anything? No, no. Nothing there. Jerry? You don't got nothing at all? Uh, Say uh, something. No. You got any oh, kind yeah, of like... to just the headers and... Uh... Join the Slack and like like Corey's saying, engage with us because we're all there. What about uh, gummies? Don't you? Don't you? Wanna plug your gummies? Post blocks. Yeah, these sick ass gummies I've been working on for like two months. <laughs> <laughs> you suck at pimping yourself out too, man. Uh, yeah, Jesse yeah, makes energy. He took energy pre workout and put it in gummy form. So now. If you don't want to drink your pre-workout, <laughs> if you want to eat it as a gummy, you can do that. See, I pimp your stuff out better than you do, man. You do. You do. No. <laughs> All right. That's it. All right, ladies and gentlemen. got to wrap. We're out of here. Peace. Play. Oh, shit. Shout out to Zoe Saldana, Zossie Beats. Play.